and rolling wild. Hey there, this is David H. Lawrence, the 17th, and you're listening to Rolling Wild with Alejandra Reynoso. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rolling Wild. I am super, super excited to be bringing you our very first guest here on the show, David H. Lawrence, the 17th. Hey. So David is a talented television and film actor, voiceover artist, former network radio show host, entrepreneur, teacher, and author. So you're a real slacker, David. I'm an author? Okay. <laughs> you, you read uh, Learn HTML on the Macintosh back in the day, did you? <laughs> well, you 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 also write a ton of blogs on your oh. Vio2Gogo site, which I definitely want to get back to. But David has nearly 35 years of experience on the radio. And after nearly 35 years on the radio, he decided to hang up his radio host headphones and retire from hosting three syndicated radio shows to head to L.A. and concentrate solely on acting and mentoring other performers. He is best known for his role as the Puppet Master on NBC's sci-fi series Heroes and as the host of the popular radio show, The David Lawrence Show. He is also extremely well-known in the commercial, audiobook, ADR, and IVR voiceover worlds. And I'll have him break down what IVR is in a second. And he's lent his voice to brands like Coke, NASCAR, Carl's Jr., Hardee's, if you're not in California, Comcast, and countless others, as well as the character of Mole Man on Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and tons of New York Times bestselling fiction and nonfiction audiobooks. Lastly, but not leastly, he is the creator of the Rehearsal Pro app, an app that allows you to have a digital rehearsal studio right on your phone, and the fantastic Vio2Gogo education and resource site, which I highly recommend. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> and that is it. Good night. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, <laughs> David. We really are excited to have you here. You're Thanks. our first guest. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm thrilled. Let's hope I don't screw it up. Let's hope I don't screw up the interview. You'll be fine. <laughs> so the first thing I want to know is, are you actually the 17th? Um, I would just like to remind you that both of us toil in the world of show business, <laughs> and perhaps that's a stage name. I'm not saying that it is, but maybe oh. when I had to pick my stage name for SAG uh, back in the day when it was just SAG, um, there were 16 other people who had various versions of David Lawrence. And as I was on the phone with the woman at SAG trying to figure out what to, you know, take as my stage name, I was staring at my IMDb page, which at the time was David Lawrence with, in parentheses, after it, Roman numeral 17, hmm. because I was the 17th David Lawrence on IMDb. Oh, wow. And so I, you know, we'd gone through every variation and I finally said to her, okay, okay, how about this? David H. Lawrence, the 17th, XVII at the end of my name. And she goes, <sighs> fine, fine. And it stuck. That's what it was. It, it could have been a really, a really bad decision, <laughs> but it, it turned out okay. It's a really grand, like royal name. Yeah, I built a, I built a, um, an auto response for fans that ask about it. And I, this, you know, big flowery story about my generations going back to the mid 1500s and, <laughs> and a, a big, long involved thing. And then at the end, I tell them the real story. So that's great. Well, that's what happens when you get a storyteller. So yeah, absolutely. You can't help yourself. That's excellent. 
All right. So although I gave a brief overview of um, some of some of the highlights, I'd love for you to tell our listeners uh, more about how you got started in VO specifically. So I think like many people who are in VO, maybe not you. Um, I don't, did you ever do radio? No, I did no. not. OK, so I was I was in love, madly in love as growing up with with radio in general. And uh, I knew all the local radio stations. I knew all the DJs. I was spinning disco when I was a teenager and um, really was was enamored with that end of of performing back in the day when radio really mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, radio is a very different landscape. It's a very different business to be in. Uh, but in the day, it was like I really wanted to be like the DJs on my local radio station. And I ended up uh, becoming friends with one who was really kind to me and helped me and and got me into it. And I took my first job uh, in radio paid uh, during the second week of my freshman year at Ohio State. And within 11 months, I had moved from babysitting the religious tapes on Sunday morning and American Top 40 to doing the overnight show where I was able to give the weather and the time and that's it. Don't open your mic for anything else. And then uh, Saturday night, they found out I was a club DJ and they said, oh, why don't we do that on the radio? So I was able to actually spin records, uh, talk, you know, and I moved from there to overnights during the week and then to afternoon drive. And then our morning guy left and I became the morning man at what was like the Kiss FM of Columbus, Ohio. And within you know, I would say two weeks of me starting on a show early on that was, uh, that allowed me to talk. Um, I was asked to do production, meaning add a tag to a commercial and put it on a cart and put it in the studio or, uh, actually, you know, perform an entire commercial and put it on a cart and put it in the studio. Um, and once that started happening and my voice was heard on the air, other than when I was on the, when I was on the air, which was middle of the night, um, I started getting, uh, requests to do, uh, voiceover work. Hmm. So it's, when you're, when you're in radio, you're kind of pushed into it. It's kind of, it's kind of an obvious thing, you know, um, the first, uh, the first job I ever had was a series of commercial tags for a discount house called Uncle Bill's, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, And then uh, the second category I worked in was um, industrial films. Uh, I was the voice of a a training tape called Sexual Harassment Hmm. and You. Um, So it's one of those tapes where it's like, this is John, this is Martha. Watch now how John and Martha have an uncomfortable exchange. You know, <laughs> like, you know, and then it goes on from there. Yeah. But, um, and, and I think that in general, my life has been about um, categories presenting themselves. Like IVR wasn't a category when I first started, uh, but it became one in the 80s and became a very strong one for me because of some of the clients that I picked up. Uh, you'd mentioned that in the intro, yes. IVR is interactive voice response. So it's when you call up a business and there's a recorded message that you hear before you hear a live person or only you only hear a recorded message. And uh, my first client, my first very big client was America online. I was their voice for 28 years. So back in the day when America online was, you know, the thing to have when it was the bomb before it, now it's just like Huffington post with a tail. (laughs) Um, 
they were taking between four and a half and 4.7 million support calls a day. And I, I happened to mention America Online. I was a Mac person from the very first day. And I mentioned America Online. It was Mac only when it first started. And I mentioned it on the air. I said, hey, if you want to send me a message and you're on this new new America Online thing, my screen name is David107. I was, I was working at Q107 in Washington, D.C. doing the morning show there. Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, they heard it. The people at, the, at, the, at the, the company at America Online heard it. And they called me after the, the show was over. And they're like, oh, my God, you talked about us on the air. <laughs> By the way, we need a voice for our phone support line. And I'm like, okay, can you do that? Sure. I had no idea what I would do, but I, you know, I had the faith that I could figure it out. It's not that hard. You know, what we do for a living is just simply not that hard. It's hard to do well, Mm -hmm. but figuring stuff out is not that difficult uh, compared to some other things that you might uh, engage in. But, uh, and that started off a very long, very, very, very lucrative relationship with uh, them and Later on, when their tech support centers, when they would, um, you know, offer time in their tech support centers to other clients, like who else was I working? Vo- uh, Volkswagen of America, Gateway Computers, the ABC Disney Retirement Plan. Um, you know, I had probably 150 to 200 um, clients back when I was when I was doing that a lot. So that's what IVR is. That brings up a couple of questions, I think, for me. One being, it seems like you were very good at following the opportunity and not necessarily pushing back or basically positioning yourself to feel ready, right? It's like, I'm just going to figure it out. Yeah, that was my, that was certainly my uh, go-to attitude. There were certainly times when I was like, wow, I don't even know if I can do this. But I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've said to myself, nope, I I can't do this isn't me. I can't I can't figure this out. You know, that one time that the Mayo Clinic asked me to be a brain surgeon, that was a little challenge. But (laughs) but when it comes to performing, I mean, it was, you you know, you know how this feels. It's in your blood. You can't you can't really push back on it. Um, You know, for the longest time I wanted to do on camera and it wasn't until a snowstorm on the East Coast that said, I'm I'm done. I want to move. And, and much later in life, in my mid-40s, uh, that I pursued something that I'd wanted to pursue since I was eight, which was to work as a film actor and a television actor. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I've welcomed the challenges and figured, you know, I'll build the airplane while I'm flying it if I have to. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I love about your site is that it focuses not only on the practical things that you need as an artist, but a lot on mindset because so much of this is a mental mm-hmm. game. Um, like you were saying, the, the the practical bits of getting in there, you can figure it out and it's going to be okay. Yeah. A lot of it ends up being a mental game and um, giving yourself permission to do what you love to yeah. do. Yeah, I think, I think the vast preponderance of it is more of a mental game than we like to give it credit for. You know, everybody's concerned mm-hmm. about, do I have the right microphone? Hmm. Do I have, do I have, uh, have I taken all the breaths out of my performances? You know, uh, these are not things that you really need to worry about. I mean, you have to have a good mic. There's no doubt about that, but that's kind of a math problem. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the real gremlins are those inner voices that say, 
yeah, I'm not really good enough to do this. They're going to find out I'm a fraud. They're going to come into the studio while I'm voicing mm-hmm. this and they're going to go, so sorry, we made a very big mistake. Please follow me to the lobby where you can find the front door. You know, everybody has those things. And I found out this year just how powerful those mindset things are mm-hmm. because up until up until this past year when I've been teaching voiceover, it's been from three perspectives, the art, the commerce, and the science. And by that, I mean the art, meaning how to perform certain categories or most categories of voiceover. Right. Uh, the commerce, how to build your business and operate on a competitive level as a professional, uh, either as a union member or not. And then finally, the science being the technology that you need to understand, the the websites you need to understand how to work with, and the technology, and uh, the the, uh, the microphone and the sound software, and and how to how to build your business, the technology, and the art all at once to create this sort of three legged stool. Because in any business today, it doesn't matter whether it's performing or a plumbing repair shop, they have to be. All businesses have to be skilled at all three of those things or the business is going to fail. Right. And then this year, it became really clear to me that most of the support calls that I was taking and the coaching that I was given uh, giving uh, was centered not around the microphone because, again, I'd kind of made that a math problem. Here's what to get and here's what to get if you have a better space and, you know, let me know what your thoughts are, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you know, the performance stuff, we do that every day and we, we do uh, feedback loops every day on that. But what I found was that people were really craving the, the betterment of their mindset, you know, figuring things out so that they could be safe and happy and enthusiastic and confident. And do so without all those nagging doubts, what, what um, Stephen Pressfield, um, what he calls the resistance monster. You know, we have these things in our head that just won't shut up. And, you know, it happens to me less than it used to, but it still happens to me. You know, I get presented with something like an audition that I just don't get. I don't get the, I don't get the character for some reason right away. It's like, what am mm-hmm. I doing? I, I don't want to do this. This isn't, they, they've, they've finally figured me out. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, you are a, a voice of expertise in, in this space, right? And you teach and you have, you know, all of these years of experience. And being that mindset is one of the big things that anyone getting into wanting to get into or having been in this industry for a long time has to deal with at one point or another. And so I think people would be surprised to hear that even someone like David H. Lawrence, the 17th, still has those moments where you you doubt yourself a little bit or or you have to play that mental game. So how do you get through that or past that? Or how do you rationalize through that little voice in your head that's telling you all of the bad things? Well, part of it is being mindful about what you're doing and what your real goals are. Your real goals are not to speak the words well on the page and not make a mistake. That's actually a pretty low bar. Your goal is to engage the audience and surprise them and delight them and make them think and make them feel and make them cry and make them laugh. And if you pay attention to the storytelling, that can solve a whole bunch of issues. 
Um, but being aware that you have those feelings every so often and just sort of noticing them. I don't know if you practice meditation or not, but there's a concept in meditation of just noticing when thoughts intrude with your meditation practice or you perceive thoughts to be intruding. You know, it's not about clearing your mind entirely. It's about being at peace with what your mind is doing and knowing how to recognize when all of those old tapes are playing and pushing back and you're hearing, I don't know, you're hearing your abusive father tell you that you aren't good enough to do what you're doing, which happened to me a lot. Uh, or you hear a power hungry small market program director uh, telling you how badly you suck and you'll never do anything in this business. And, you know, part of it is examining the evidence. The fact of the matter is, is that he was wrong. My father was wrong. And I've done pretty good for myself. I've done okay, if not great. And not being afraid to own that is part and parcel of understanding how to overcome some of those mental challenges when they pop up. But usually you have an issue with those when they happen and you don't know what to do about it. So part of it is training yourself before it's necessary as to how to respond when your body and your mind starts playing tricks on you. And I have had the, the luxury of a long career where um, the number one watchword that I've had from people is, you do what? I didn't know you did that. I, wh wow. Okay. Hmm. And, it, and it mean, I mean, in the business, like I didn't know you did ADR. I didn't know you did IVR. I didn't know you did, um, you know, the voice of a, of an animated character of a, of a supervillain that can't be killed. You know, really you were in cars three. <laughs> huh? Oh no. Oh wow. You know, cause I don't look like I sound number one. I have what they used to call a face for radio. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I thought, you know, well, how will I, how will this work on camera? And it turns out it'll work really well if I want to be a creepy evil villain, which is what I do most of the time. And even that was like, okay, you're going to put me on a stage with some of the biggest stars on television and you're going to trust me to do a great job. Okay. All right. And that, that was the conversation. It was like, really? Okay. As opposed to what? Because sometimes we want something really bad mm -hmm. and we have to be careful about wishing for that because we just might get it. Right. And then we're stuck because the goal was to get it as opposed to the goal was to kill it. You know, I mean, kill it in a good way, you know, really rock it. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I tried. It does. It also touched on a lot of great things. And that last point of, you know, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it um, reminds me of something D. Bradley Baker said recently. Talking about it's dangerous to approach a job, an audition, whatever it is, with the mindset of, I want to get something. You know, I just want to get something. And it's all about getting that thing. The focus should be more on giving something, giving that performance. Because like you said, when you focus on the storytelling, a lot of that other stuff falls away. And I've found that sometimes more of that nagging thing in your head comes up when you're auditioning on your own all the time and you start focusing on, you know, I just need to get something or I need to do a good job. I don't know what they want. I don't know 
right? And you focus more on what they want versus what you can give. Mm-hmm. And um, as storytellers, when we focus on what we can give that character or that story, a yep. lot of the other stuff falls away. So I, I definitely appreciate um, the point to be mindful and to be focused on that. You kind of touched on three different things there, and hopefully I'll remember what they are. But All number right. one, being of service yes. is always a good idea. Taking care of the production team, the casting team, the director, whoever's whoever's watching you do your audition, taking care of them. My friend Michael Kostroff talks about this in his amazing Audition Psych 101 course. And then also decoupling what you're doing from the outcome, decoupling the Mm -hmm. storytelling from whether or not you get the gig. And that can be hard, especially when you're struggling, Mm -hmm. you know? And then the third thing is this idea of trying to figure out what the casting people want. You know, half the time they don't know. Mm-hmm. They're they're casting a fairly wide net. You walk into the the you know the waiting area, and you either see a whole bunch of people that look like you, and they go, and you, you think you can think to yourself, why don't they just pick one? Mm-hmm. You know, I was at a, at an audition recently for a film, and you know we all knew the casting director because she actually was given the opportunity to bring in the people that she wanted to bring in, um, you know, uh, bring in a friend, whoever, and she has a lot of friends. And, you know, she walked out and she goes, you know, any of you could do this. I'm so sorry to bring you in for one line. Uh, but, you know, he wants he wants this. So the idea of trying to figure out what they want is kind of a fool's game. Mm-hmm. You know, what you want to figure out is what you bring to the table, what your right. what your options are and what your approach is to a story that they are telling. That's kind of a tabula rasa. It's kind of a blank slate. I mean, how many times have we heard uh, you know, casting directors and others who've spoken at events say, yeah, we thought we wanted a really sweet cheerleader kind of type for the cashier. And then this one walked in snapping gum, being sarcastic, everything we didn't want. And who booked the job? She did because she killed it. She just, she, she had a great time. So I don't think it's worth kind of engaging in that game of trying to figure out what they want as if you do, they're going to book you. Because that's not the case. Right. Yeah. I think it turns, it's another one of those those fallacies, those things where actors kind of shoot themselves in the foot, worrying about things we can't control and maybe creating monsters that don't exist, right? Yeah. Because um, so much of the time, we feel like the casting director or or the powers that be are against you, right? Like you're trying to figure out what it is that's going to make them happy. Mm-hmm. And really, they want you to be good because they don't want to listen to a hundred more audio files Oh, yeah. You know, they want you to be what they're looking for. So um, they want you to be the solution to their problem, whatever you are. It may be what they think they're looking for. Uh, It may be exactly what they're looking for. Yeah, they nailed it. They kind of figured out what we meant in the breakdown by uh, Morgan Freeman-esque, but with an edge (laughs) and relatable and female. I mean, you know, there's there's all of these things that happen that you are, as you said, are way beyond your control. But the one thing that you do have some amount of control over is how you approach it mm-hmm. and how you execute it and how you treat them. I mean, in your slate, you can blow it. And in your slate, you can sell it. You know, that that slate to me is one of the most overlooked and valuable pieces of real estate when you send in a voiceover audition or even when you send in a self-tape for on camera. That's the moment when they get their first impression of you. And instead of being in character 
or dismissing it as though it's just something you have to do. Yeah, hi, it's David H. Lawrence 17th. I'm your I'm gonna be your announcer. What if that slate just made you lovely? And then you did your character or your announcement or whatever. Um, and you know, maybe it matches that, maybe it doesn't, but you give them that first moment where you're saying, I'm okay, I'm not a whacter. You know, I'm going to be okay to work with. You can count on me. I'll take care of you. I'm helpful and I'm friendly and I can't wait to work with you. Just that is said in a slate. And all of a sudden, I mean, I've heard plenty of casting directors say, I fell in love with him from the moment I heard him say his name. You know, as he walked through the door, he had a big smile on his face and it wasn't one of those manic, crazy smiles that we would have to, you know, hire security to take care of. So I think it's really important that you have the approach of you're just going to be you. You're just going to bring you to the party, your brand, your approach to things and, um, you know, take guidance from the breakdown, but just be yourself. I love that. Um, going off of that, because that is an excellent tip. I want to know what are your, I guess, best practices. If you had to distill it down to just a few best practices, because a lot of our listeners are starting out or wanting to get into voiceover or maybe are further in their career, but it never hurts to hear how to do better. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, what are your best practices? So there are tons of technical things. I think the slate thing is one of the things that I mention mm -hmm. most often and people are like, oh. Your okay. first impression. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think that also as artists, we have grown up with stories about art that circle around the idea that artists to be effective, to be, um, you know, really powerful game changers, they have to have had their heart broken. They have to struggle. And certainly, you know, you want to add to your body of experience how you deal with a broken heart as one of millions of things that make really good storytellers really good because they can recall the emotions around, you know, that's why they call it emotional recall, uh, around that particular situation. But sometimes we take it way too far and we insist that if we're not struggling, well, we can't possibly be good enough to be a professional in this business. Um, if we become successful, well, you know, then I'm selling out to the man. Uh, and, you know, that's just part of what happens as you go through your journey. You know, you had a different set of rules when you were at Stanford, you know, and as you became successful and did more and more episodes of the shows that you've been on, Everything changed about how you went to the studio and who you knew there and how things happened and the friendliness that you had with the rest of the staff, the crew, the cast. You know, the first day I bet was very different from, say, the 50th or the 70th or the 100th. Right. And that was because you became comfortable with the new set of rules that you were operating mm -hmm. under. And some people can't imagine being successful because the only rule set they know is that rule set of struggling. And so I try to tell people, look, if you're going to get into this business, it will be a struggle for either a moment or a year or 10 years. Samuel L. Jackson once said it took me 15 years to get my first big role that, that you know, uh, got me noticed and got me some money that I could actually pay my rent with. 
but everybody thought, oh, he must have been, you know, awesome from the start. You know, he was, you know, and he was on David Letterman. He goes, yeah, it took me 15 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. And some people are more comfortable with the struggle because it's a badge they can wear with pride. I am a struggling artist. I live in a garret mm -hmm. and I eat ramen and I never, ever make a decision based on whether or not it's going to pay the bills. I always make a decision based on the content. The art, yes, the starving artist. Yeah. And that's a badge that, you know, if you only want to wear that badge, well, you know, life is going to give you exactly what you go after, and that is struggle. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, and don't give the struggle the air of nobility. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a better thing to be struggling than it is to be successful. I mean, there's, I'm sure, like me, there are more than a few artists, actors, voiceover talent, et cetera, that you would trade places with to have their career today, right now. <laughs> sure, I'll do that. Absolutely. And you got to ask yourself, you know, do you think they're operating under the rule set of this is all a struggle? I mean, sure, everybody has their occasional challenges, but when you're on offer and you're repped by, you know, CAA or uh, WME, uh, it's a very different thing from when you don't have an agent and you're trying to get somebody to listen to your demo and you just like to, you know, tell people that you're capable of doing these things and you want to. Right. I just need a chance. Yeah, exactly. So I think the rules change over time and you have to be able to change with them. These are pearls of wisdom for everyone listening. I'm so glad. I'm so glad David came on and that you're able to to get all of this wonderful information. I do want to plug VO to GoGo again just because it is such an invaluable resource. And if you are loving what David is talking about, you can get a video every single day. He's posting a video a day um, this year. Well, this year. It's a, this year. It, yeah, I'm working on a new project called uh, Camera Ready You. And I wanted to sort of immerse myself in the world of agile video creation and agile content creation. And you would not believe the stuff that I've learned <laughs> about cameras and lighting and production and YouTube. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, it's been great. Uh, most of the stuff before that was was, you know, typed blogs uh, and and audio. But. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm touching on all the things that I want to touch on, I wanted to touch on and do so on camera. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I've been really enjoying it. So. Hey, this is David H. Lawrence, the 17th. You are listening to Rolling Wild with Alejandra Reynoso. Yes, you are. Thank you, David. I am so, so thrilled that I was able to bring David onto the show for you guys. Now, in an effort to keep this episode quick and fun like the other episodes you've been listening to, I've split David's interview into two parts, part one and two. But if you're ready and have the time right now, head on over to part two. It is there, ready and waiting for you, and I promise you, you do not want to miss what else David has to say. We'll call this installment episode 104. It's a mindset thing. David H. Lawrence, the 17th, part one. <laughs> <laughs>